Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 27. I have been doing a series called Reflection. And this series has been about imitating the life of Christ. I mean, no, we all need a role model to follow. Everybody needs to be like someone. The very name Christian, for example, if someone uh, introduced themselves to you or, or, or asked who you were and you said, well, I'm John, I'm a Christian. A Christian by definition means a follower of Christ. You and I are more than just believers in right doctrine. How many know we are followers of Christ? We're to imitate Him, be like Him. We, we want to act the way He did. We want to treat people the way that Jesus treated them. The first message in the series was about the golden rule. Remember when the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, a troubled time in her life, how did Christ respond to her? So we looked at the example of Jesus, and we tried to imitate that. A couple of messages had to do with uh, what Jesus called faith for extraordinary results. Uh, we, it was a mess, several messages about the supernatural, how to find God's involvement in our lives. And it takes faith for that to happen. Jesus had it, and so do we. And the last message that I was able to share with you a couple of weeks ago had to do with his number one priority. If you look at Jesus' life, the most important thing in his life was making it possible for as many people to go to heaven as they could. And how many know if that's what Jesus did, that's what I should do as well. And I asked you this question, how many people will be in heaven because of you. Now, your works won't get them there. How many know what Christ did on the cross is the door to heaven? But how many know, unless I tell someone, unless I buy a Bible to send someone, unless I do something, share my faith, people are not going to make it. So that's what we've been talking about, about, about trying to imitate Christ in our lives. Well, as we look at the life of Christ and ministry of Christ, and you look through the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you're drawn to immediately is the public life of Christ, his public ministry. I mean, he would preach and thousands sometimes would come. Uh, Jesus would fed, one, one occasion he fed 5,000 men, women, children, probably 20,000 people. It was a very, very public ministry, very powerful, very profound. He would heal the sick in very public places. But Jesus also had a private side to his life. And it's this private side that I'm going to talk to you about this morning. Uh, Jesus had, if you can imagine, a teeter-totter on the playground. One side is the public life, our public ministry, what we do for God, the, what we might call religious behavior. The other side is the private side of my Christian life, what I do when nobody's watching. Do I pray when nobody's watching or do I just pray in church? Uh, do I give to people, share with people, help with people in private when nobody knows or do I just do it when there's other Christians around? There's a public life and a private life that Jesus modeled in his spiritual life, and I believe we should as well. Now, look at a passage, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Matthew 9, 27, now Jesus had just healed a woman with a blood disease she'd, she'd, uh, and raised a little girl from the dead. So his public ministry is progressing. Verse 27, Jesus left the little girl's home. Two blind men followed along behind him, and they shouted, Son of David. This is referring to the lineage of Christ from King David. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus asked them, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him we do. And then he touched their eyes and said these words, because of your faith, it will happen. Now, Christ had faith. And how many know, but it was their faith that was the, it was the energy. It opened the door. It was like the key that unlocked the lock. But notice what he said next. This is, this is the passage, verse 30. Their eyes were open, they could see, but Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this. Can you say that with me? Don't tell anyone about this. Now, what I want you to see this morning is we, this message is entitled, Secret Acts and a Secret Place. 
And Jesus had a public side to his ministry, but had a private side. Now, listen, if something like that had happened, blind people being healed, I guarantee you the Gazette reporter would be there. Come on, Fox News would put it on, and Charisma would have a lead story. I mean, it's just something about American culture. We, wanna, we, wanna, we want to put it in the paper. We want to get it exposure. And Jesus did much, much, much of what he did was public. The world saw it. When he died on a cross for our sins, he didn't die in private. I mean, no, it was on a hill. Everybody could see. People were watching. It's a very public statement. But yet he had this private side to his life. And that's what I'm going to encourage you to, to, to imitate. Because the real barometer of your spiritual life is not what you do and other people are watching. You know, church is an important experience for us. But church on Sunday cannot be the barometer of my Christian life. It's what's happened in the private side of my world when nobody watches that gives evidence to the reality of my Christian faith. And I think you're going to really enjoy this this morning because this will help you. Many of us in our spiritual life is perhaps capped. Maybe you feel like you're in a rut. It just something's kind of missing. I'm going to encourage you, if you will deliberately apply uh, uh, the practice of doing acts of worship in secret, uh, giving, praying, fasting, the secret side of life, and if you will make sure that you have a secret place and a secret time with God that is regular and even irregular in your life throughout the day. Listen, my friends, great things will happen in your spiritual life. So let's start. We're going to start with this idea of secret acts, but I'm going to start with a little video. It's kind of cute, but I think you'll get the picture because it has a real warm message to it. Let's, uh, let's begin the message, and then we'll go to Matthew chapter 6. Hey, that just made you feel good, didn't it? The message is not good. You can sleep out and go, sleep out and go rent that movie. It looked like a good one. That was a joke, okay? It's the only one I brought with me today. Matthew chapter 6, secret acts. Doing things that nobody knows about. And in our context today, doing them on behalf of God for people. Giving to people, sharing with them, helping them, doing things that others don't know about. Now, as we look in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 is from the Jesus Sermon on the Mount. It's arguably the greatest message that was ever preached. And as you look at the Sermon on the Mount, after the introduction with the Beatitudes, he tells us to be salt and light, the rest of the, of the Sermon on the Mount is addressed to contrast true Christianity, followers of Christ, with the Pharisees. In that chapter 5, verse 20, it talked about the Pharisees whose righteousness was determined by what they, at least what they thought, by what they did externally, their public world, the, that side of the teeter-totter. But Jesus is going to say, if all you've got is what you're doing for other people to see, you're losing the real reality and the heart motivation of it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Now let me step back for the Pharisees just a moment. There, there were three primary groups, religious groups, in, the Jewish, uh, in Jesus' day of the Jewish people. There were the Pharisees, or there were the Jewish separatists, there were the Essenes, and there were the Sadducees. Maybe a couple more, but those were the primary the ones that you'll hear about in Scripture. The Pharisees, Jewish separatists, had been around about 400 years, and they started out really good. And here's what I want you to see. They started out by being separated from the world. They were genuinely trying to live by the Bible. They were trying to go God's way and live the way that was pleasing to God. They were separated from the world. How many know that's what the Bible teaches us? Come out from among them and be what? Separate. And I'll rec Well, they were. They were the ones responsible for literally preserving the Old Testament Scripture between Malachi and Matthew, several hundred years called the silent years. These people were behind it. 
They were religious people. They were godly people. They were very, very into the minuteness of the practice of religion. They had actually developed what was called the Midrash, the Jewish Midrash. It was, it was an addition to the commandments, and it was hundreds and hundreds of more laws and rules and regulations about what you had to do to please God. And what had happened, somewhere along their journey, they had lost a passion for God. They had lost loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and replaced it with commandments and tradition. And what Jesus was saying, listen, if all you're doing is stuff that people watch and see, you're missing what really matters in life. And that's where the Pharisees, and they're in the crowd that Jesus is talking to, and what they did, they practiced their righteousness in front of other people. And Jesus said, forget the reward, you'll lose it. Verse 2, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you. In other words, don't take out a newspaper ad telling what you did. Don't tell everyone to come and watch you do some good thing. Don't do that. Don't do as the hypocrites do. Now, a hypocrite was a pretender. Most basic definition, it's someone who puts on a mask. Whoever your favorite movie actor is, I would imagine if you have seen them uh, and maybe they're, they're in the action movies and maybe they, you know, they shoot them up or whatever the case is, they're the tough guy and you see them and you have this picture of the way they are, but in real life, in an interview, they're totally different. They have just learned to put on a face. I mean, I like Denzel Washington and I mean, he can just be across the board in what he does, but it's all not him. He's pretending in some cases. And just as he's pretending to act in a different role in a movie, whether he's a thug or whether he's the good guy as a marshal, I mean, he's pretending. Well, well, people who are religious can sometimes pretend as well and not even know that they've slipped into that. And Jesus is saying the real way that you can figure out where you are spiritually is what you do not just in public, but what you do in private. So these were hypocrites in the synagogue and the streets to be praised by others. They've received their reward. Now look at verse 3. Jesus said, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so your giving may be in secret. I mean, it's just a way of simply saying, be private about it. Don't let other people know. Don't make a big deal about it. Now, the Bible is not forbidding us to do public things. It's not an either public or a private. It's both. How many know Jesus did much of his ministry publicly? Uh, Jesus, even his disciples, they had a treasury. Judas was the treasurer. And everybody knew that he would often give to the poor. It was a public expression. Jesus was there at the temple treasury when people were giving. So Jesus was not saying don't do all your giving in private. It's perfectly okay to give in private, to give testimony about what God has done, to have a public world. Just make sure you've got the private world going as well because that's the starting place. Jesus said, verse 4, let your giving be in secret. And here's a great promise. Your Father who sees in secret will do what? He'll reward you. So somehow God is watching and that's the coolest thing just like when you watch those little boys in the bike they didn't know in the apartment who was coming but they knew. And not only do you know but God knows. Now look further verse 5. When you pray don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? To be seen by others. Now mind you that's not the way they started out. That's the way they ended up. Christianity is the starting place is a personal, private relationship with God. And it grows into public service and and, and into worship, acts of worship. Uh, Truly I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in what? Secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And that's simply what I want to tell you this morning. 
is about, is about there needs to be an aspect of our spiritual life that's not just public, but that's very private. Now, the word secret, it simply means it's what we do in private. Secret means what's, what we do for God that's hidden from public knowledge. It's what we do that others aren't aware of, that nobody knows about, that it's just between you and God. Because listen, our spiritual life is not supposed to be just public or just private. It's public and private. It's like the teeter-totter. So let me ask you a question. We could just be personal a moment. How much of your praying do you do in church and how much do you do at home? How much, how much worship? Is there a time in your life when you just are singing to God with nobody there? This is what, this is what the Bible is talking about. Uh, do you help people? Let me give an example of something that, that happened to me, and I guess I'll throw my reward out the window by telling you, but let me illustrate it. I went to Friday, I got a Subway sandwich, and a tuna sandwich, you know, all the vegetables, and, you know, and I'm getting ready to order it. And she said, well, you know, this is a, whatever, $5 Friday. If you, uh, for an extra buck, you can get a foot long, eat, half, eat, eat six inches now, half, and half later, like I needed the whole thing. But I said, okay, for a buck, and I th already thought, well, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock, I'll need me a little snack, and I've already thought it out in my mind what I'm going to do. I'm thinking how I'm going to hide it in the refrigerator from all the godly people that I work with. <laughs> I bought me some nuts, you know, Sam, the nice, you know, 14 bucks, you know, they've got cashews and everything else in my office. I wanted some nuts one day. Where did my nuts go? And everybody, I don't know, I don't know. And they start to be, I, I ate some. Now look, I'm not stingy, but my point is this. So I get this sandwich and I'm coming to the church and I've got this, you know, foot long, I'm gonna hide it in the refrigerator. And there's this guy standing on the sidewalk. We were doing some remodeling around the church. And I just felt that little nudge, that little voice. Give it to him. Now, I realize I just lost my reward by telling you. But when you walk in the office, you don't want to say, Hey, see that guy out there? See that sandwich he's eating? I gave it to him. Would you call the Gazette and tell him the preacher over at Church on the Rock just gave his sandwich away? Would you, would you do that so, so we can tell him what good people we are? What Jesus is saying, have a part of your life that nobody knows out. Look out the window and watch him eat it and let a smile come to your face and then look up to heaven and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me something to share. I'm telling you, it's a public side to your life and it's a private side to your life. Do, do you have, and see, Jesus gave two examples that we read. One was giving, the things we do for people. Uh, the second one was prayer, that our prayer life is not just what we do here. And, and, and we have to ask ourselves the question, when was the last time I did something for someone without telling a soul? When was the last time I gave something to someone and, they, and didn't let anybody know? It's a telling, it's, it's, it's very telling about us. And don't feel bad about it, but just begin to open up your world to that private side. See, and then he talked about fasting. When you fast, you know, don't wear the gloomy Gus face and don't let anybody know about it. Just do it in secret between you and your father and the father who sees in secret will reward you because this is what Christianity is about. Christianity is not just about going to church. Christianity is about a vital relationship with Christ. And a vital relationship with Christ has a very public side like Jesus did, but it has a very private side as well. I'm going to shift gears in just a second towards the secret place. Remember the message, secret acts and a secret place. But this morning, I don't know what time you get up, but and our roles are a little different, but I, want, I like to get to the church before anybody gets here so I can spend time with God. 
And I got here this morning a little after 7. And I, I, when I drove up, I hope, I hope Pastor Nick's not here. I hope the sound people aren't here. I hope they come later, but I hope they're not here now. I hope, no video pe- I, I hope that there's a good 30 or 40 minutes where I can just be alone with God. Because my secret place, the one that is most meaningful to me, is right here. I just like to turn all the lights off where I'm not looking around and seeing things and just take some time and be with God. And I got to spend 25 minutes just praying and just being with God, not for the message, not to study what I would say today, but just to allow God just to be with me and for me to be with Him. See, that's what Christianity is about, friends. It's about the public things we do, but it's also about the private things we do. And if you will concentrate on the private end, the secret acts, and the secret place, you will find your spiritual life go to a whole other dimension. Because it's not just about what we do that our friends know and see. Come on, how many know it's about what God watches over? Give him a good hand this morning. It's the secret place and secret acts. Mark chapter 1, you may note that. And by the way, if the scriptures go by pretty quick, you can always uh, pick it up on the Internet, our webpage. We've got an iPhone app, and we've got an Android app coming out real soon as well. So you can, you know, you can listen to the messages. You can download the notes and just have, have everything uh, right at hand. But Mark chapter 1, now, the secret acts were those acts of worship and service that we do for God in private. But the secret place is a time and a place that we go to be alone with God. Now, stay with me on this one. A secret place is a time and a place I go to be alone with God. I think every one of us needs an anchor place. Uh, my, my wife's secret place is we've got a, a little couch right in the corner of a little eating area in our, in our, in our kitchen. It kind of overlooks the yard. And, and I find her there all the time. She's got her Bible open sometimes. She's got her little iPad with her Bible sometimes. And sometimes she's just being quiet with God. No TV, no radio, not even a husband, but a time with God. But there's also private times during the day that we just kind of skirt out from the the distractions of the day to get along with God. Let's look at the life of Jesus. Again, he's our example, the one we imitate. Mark chapter 1, verse 33. The whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, here's Jesus' public ministry. He's preaching. They know he's in the house. Everybody is there to hear from him. Verse 34, he heals many that were sick. He casts out many demons. Look at verse 35. He got up very early in the morning. He departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. How many early morning people here? Let me see your hand. Yeah. How many think early mornings are for sleeping? Let me see your hand. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. But Jesus, he found a time to get up early to go be with God. Now, what I want you to see, it's a desolate place. Desolate means a solitary place. It means a secret place. It's a place where just you and God. And this was the pattern of Jesus' life. I want you to think of Jesus' life in this fashion. He started with private time. He did public ministry, and then he went back to private time. It's like his life was a combination of that teeter-totter. You know, the little kids on one side, you know, and they're sitting down, and all of a sudden, you go push down, and I push up. It's kind of like that. They're going up and down. It was the rhythm of Jesus' life. And let me know if it's good enough for Jesus. It'll be good enough for me. But it wasn't just go to read the Bible. It was to go to be with God. Now, in this private place, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, in those days he went to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So big decision, what did Jesus do? Private time. I'm amazed some people get married and they do it just because of the twinkle in their eye. 
I mean, that's silly, but it's true. Private time. Some people will move and change careers and make life-altering decisions with no private time. So Jesus getting ready to pick the 12 guys that are going to take the gospel to the world when he's gone. One of them, Judas, would betray him. And he, maybe much of his prayer that night was saying, Father, help me to love Judas. Help me knowing, because Jesus was not in the dark about this. Jesus, perhaps part of his time that he had to wrestle through some things, and he did it in his private time. Look at another one. Matthew 14, verse 23. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, women, children, over 20,000 people. And verse 23 says, After he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Say it with me. So it was the pattern of his life. Here, after great success, he goes to be with God. After when there's, when there's needs in his life. And we, we see, he had public life and he had private life. When he had to make a decision, he went to be with God. He went to spend some private time and he chose the disciples. When he was troubled, remember the Garden of Gethsemane? The night before he was, was crucified, he's there praying. He takes Peter, James, and John with him, and, and, but he leaves them over here. He goes a stone's throw away, and he says, I want, I'm glad you're here praying, but I'm going to go over here so I can have private time with just the Father and I. And he wrestled through what was going to be the most painful, tormenting time of his life. So whenever you have to face something that's going to be difficult, come on, don't just take a Valium. You know, don't just, you know, I'm not saying Valiums are bad, but I'm saying there's something that's more important than a Valium when you're about to face the judge or when you're about to face the big deal. I mean, just don't, don't stop by the store and get a drink to help you cope with life. Private time. It's something about connecting with God, rolling your burdens over, on, on His shoulders. Private time is a place you go that when God does something really great in your world and success comes in your life, guess what? You go to be with God. And if you will allow these dynamics to be a part of your life, public and private. How many know, listen, there's a lot of reasons we come to church. It is now. I mean, arguably, we come to church to worship. We come to church to learn. Uh, we also come to church to see our friends. Come on. Listen, I'm telling you, if I was, you know, if I was a, a, a new person in town, if I was a single person, if I was looking for someone to have a relationship with, I probably would not be going to, you know, Hooters or Shooters or whatever you call it at 2 in the morning. I mean, you're probably going to find, you know, a different crowd of people in, in church. So we go to church to be with our friends. We go to church to learn, to have fun. We go to the Jesus Fest. But there's only one reason that you go to your secret place. It's to be with your father. And that's the essence, friend. Listen, church is important. The Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Do it all the more as, you know, Christ's comings draws near. But listen, don't forsake the secret place. And the secret place is not just that anchor time in the morning. Its secret place can be throughout the day. When I was in the, the military, I was in the Navy a long time ago. And, and when I first started, I was in Alaska for six months. And I, was, I had to work in the chow hall. Nobody liked it. Everybody hated it. You know, 12 on, 12 off, and blah, blah, blah. And nobody liked it. I was just, I was a new Christian. The joy of the Lord has defined my life. And I just got to where after a while I could only take so much, you know, cussing. I, I just, and I used to cuss like a sailor. I could probably teach you some things. But when I got away from that, you know, when I, I, didn't, want, I, didn't, want, I didn't want to go back to that. Not because I was better or anything like that. It's just because it just made me feel dirty. And I could only handle so much of it, you know. And then I would go, and, and when somebody would have to go to the storage room and get supplies, I'd always volunteer. 
Because guess what? I'd shut the door of that big closet going in to get pepper, but my reason for really reason was going was not just the pepper. It was, it was a private place. And I could go in there just a minute, and I could just say, Father, I just ask you to just come and, and just draw near to me. And I would pray. I can remember praying for guys. There was this guy, Sparky. He was, I think he was like an E4, and I was an E2, just getting started out. Cuss like a sailor, classic. Well, I remember this one time. We're in the kitchen, and, and milk came in these big, I don't know how many gallons, maybe 15, 20 gallons. You'd put it up and hit the deal, the milk would come out. Well, we were unloading the truck, and it almost tipped over the cart. And he started cussing, asking GD this and GD that. And I said, Sparky, what would we do with all this spoiled milk if God damned it? We didn't think about what we're saying. We just say it. Well, several weeks after that, I was able to lead him to Christ. Well, guess what? When I'm talking, this goes on, I want to get in the secret place and say, Lord, let him remember those words I said. See, the secret place is not just here in the sanctuary or, or on the couch. It could be in your backyard. Uh, it could be in your car. I find with my, uh, my little smartphones, you know, you can download podcasts. I love talk radio. I like the conservative talk radio. So I've got all these podcasts and all these programs, and they're all a click away. And if I'm not careful, I can listen to them 24-7. I'm sorry to tell you that, but I can just get addicted to that kind of stuff because it's easier for me to be a doer, a task-oriented person for God, than it is someone who wants to just be with God. Just being honest, intimacy is harder for me to be with God than rather do something for God. And every once in a while, I'll start to listen to it, and I'll feel the Holy Spirit say to me, turn it off. And I'll just, my secret place will be my car. And there'll be no radio, there'll be no sermon, there'll be no talk. It'll just be God and I. And sometimes it's talking, and sometimes it's just quiet. But it's a secret place. Whether it's at a closet on a Navy base or whether it's my truck driving to town. Listen, friends, the secret place can open up and change your life. One more story, and then we're going to close in a second. There's a man, his name is Judson Cornwall. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was one of the forerunners in the charismatic movement in the 80s. He was a worshiper. I mean, this guy written books. Here I'm in my mid-20s, and he's about 70 or so. And, and I watched him, just incredible ministry and books and everything. And, and I got the privilege to take him to the airport. So we're driving to the airport, and I watched him at the book table. He's signing books, and people are, you know, saying, oh, what a great, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm thinking, well, man, this guy, all he's doing is saying thank you and smiling. He's probably stuck on himself. Well, we talked about it in the car, and he said, listen, when people say thank you, they're trying to honor you. And the Bible says honor, you know, you give honor to whom honor is, is due. So you receive it, but he said, let me tell you what I do when I go to bed. Travels all over the world. He said, every night, here's my ritual. I kneel down at my bed. And I think of every compliment I've received that day. I think of the person that told me that my book changed their life, and I imagine it's a rose, and I put it in my hand. I think of the person I prayed for at the altar, and God did something great in their life, and I imagine it like this beautiful tulip. And before I know it, all these compliments have become a bouquet of flowers. And then he said, I go and I kneel at my bed, and I say, Lord Jesus, I want to give all these to you. Come on now. I want to give all these to you because you're the one that's brought this about. I'm just the vessel. To you, breathe the honor and the glory and the praise. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. It's the secret place. You get the deal. You get the sell. You make money. You make the shot. Whatever it is, you knock the ball over the fence. You win the series. Whatever it is, if you will have a secret place that you go and tell God, thank you. Come on. Thank you for what you've done. Recognizing Him, it'll revolutionize your life. 
If you're looking for something, I'm telling you, if you're looking for something to change your spiritual life, put into practice what I've told you this morning. Secret acts when nobody's watching. Giving, serving, helping, sharing, praying. Nobody's watching, just you and God. And then that secret place, the anchor place in the morning, the anchor place in the evening, and throughout the day, just pausing to be with God. It'll transform your life. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Let me ask you to just bow your head a moment, and I just wonder what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you this morning. One of the greatest compliments a preacher can have if someone says, God really spoke to me today, because I'm not trying to just speak to your mind. I'm trying to be a vehicle where the Holy Spirit can be a voice within my voice. And I simply wonder today, what, what maybe has God said to you this morning? Has God spoken to you about the private part of your life? When you look at your life, honestly, how much prayer goes on apart from church? How much giving happens that doesn't end up on your tithing statement? What do you do that nobody's watching? Can you remember the last time you did something for someone, an act of kindness, and didn't tell a soul? Maybe God's trying to open up this whole vista of relationship to you. Would you just say yes to Him? God's not trying to condemn you or beat you up because of what you're not doing. He's just simply trying to say, there's a door that's open to you, that your spiritual life can grow deep and rich and full if you will begin to practice secret acts of worship, serving, giving. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about your secret place. Maybe your secret place has not been visited much lately. Again, you don't have to feel guilty, bad, sad, shame, condemned. But why don't you just make a resolution in your heart today? I'm going to begin to visit it again. I'm going to turn the TV off a little earlier at night. I'm going to get up 10, 15 minutes earlier. I'm going to turn the radio off in the car. I'm going to find somewhere at work that I can go and just get away. But the secret place, the place for early, the place for late, the place throughout the day. But my friends, I promise you, if you will commit yourself to public and private acts of service and worship, if you will regularly go to the secret place, God will change your life. I'm going to read you this little story, and we're going to go. It was from a book called Crazy Love. I was at a, a life group Wednesday night with Willie, and he read this little short book, and this paragraph said this, Have you ever met someone who was utterly and desperately in love with Jesus? Now, I, I can tell you honestly that I was raised in church, but I didn't love Jesus. I didn't. I just thought when you were in trouble, you asked God to help you. You do their scales. You do more good than bad, and you go to heaven. And I thought the God stuff was all about after you die. I didn't realize that I could have a personal, intimate relationship with God today. And I want to tell you, when someone told me that, it changed my life. He asked, have you met someone desperately in love with Jesus? And he said, well, I have. My wife's grandma, Clara. I spoke recently at her funeral, and I can honestly tell the mourners gathered that I have never known anyone more excited to see Jesus. Now, I don't mean physically with their eyes, but I mean that spiritual sense when you're in His presence. Every morning, Clara would kneel by her bed and spend precious hours with her Savior and lover. And later in the day, just the sight of that corner of her bed would bring joy-filled tears and a deep anticipation of the next morning spent kneeling in His presence. Is that not profound? She just walked by the room 
and saw her secret place. And something inside her said, I want to be with him. Not because I have to, because I want to. That's what God designs for your life and mine. Grandma Clara acted towards God the way we act towards people we're madly in love with. Listen, if you can either now or there was a time when you were madly in love with somebody, you, you couldn't wait to see their name on the caller ID. Maybe it's your kids and your kids are gone off to college or whatever and they're coming home and you just find yourself staring at the road waiting for them to come because you love them. Can I tell you, God wants that kind of relationship with you. He wants a relationship where he's real, is real to you uh, Monday morning at 7 or Monday afternoon at 2 or Monday at 11 at night as he is Sunday morning at 12 o'clock. See, he wants to be with you. And the way that starts, it's not an accident. You see, a relationship with God is very deliberate. Before I got married and I began to be with Linnell and, and court her and spend time with her, it was very deliberate that I would call her and go see her and buy her things and, and, and write notes to her. Well, you know what? Your relationship with God can be just as real and just as deliberate, but it has a starting place. And here's what I did not know as a young Methodist boy. Grateful that I knew the Bible, grateful that I knew that Jesus died on my life from the cross, but I didn't know that I had to respond next. I didn't know that I had to literally tell the Lord Jesus, I want you to save me. I want to know you. I want you to wash my sins away. I want to begin to follow you and serve you. And a personal relationship with God can begin. It's, it's more than just theology and information and truth. It's a relationship with God where God literally becomes your father and he adopts you as his child. And it's a starting place. And I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, I'd like to make that start today. I want to know God in a personal way. I want to ask Christ to forgive my sins. I want to commit my life to follow Him and serve Him. I want to put Him first in my life. It's like a car is stopped at, the, at, at a stop sign. And rather than just going back the way that I used to be, I'm ready to turn my life over to Christ and follow Him for the rest of my days. Well, if you're here today, friends, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, not to embarrass you, but let me know who you are. You'll find that people will clap for you. We want to pray for you. We want to give you some things that's going to help you on your Christian journey. But you've got to make the step. Christ died on a cross for our sins 2,000 years ago. Now he's waiting for us to turn our life over to him, to surrender to him, to say yes to Christ. Maybe today is your day. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I feel like you're talking right to me now. I want to commit my life to Christ today. I want the church to pray for me. Would you lift your hand? Do it quickly this morning. God bless you. Give these girls a big hand over here. God bless you. Somebody else. Pray for me this morning. I want to commit my life to Christ today. Anyone else today? God bless you, dear. God bless you. Loves the Lord but wants to go further and deeper. Anybody else today? I want to commit my life afresh to God. I want to commit my life afresh to Christ. Won't we stand to our feet and we're going to pray. Our prayer team is going to come one last time. We're going to sing a song and then dismiss. Now, don't you girls that lifted your hand, come on up. Someone's going to be here to pray with you. They're going to give you something. Give these girls one more big hand. If you want to come on down with them, you come on, let somebody pray for you. Come on, these several ladies. If you'll just go with Pastor Joe right over here and he's going to, they're going to pray with you. Have some girls right over there to meet with you. Our prayer team is going to come now. If you needed prayer for anything or talk to someone, you come. We'll sing this song through one last time and then we'll dismiss. God bless you. It's been great to see you. You bring somebody next week with you. In the secret, in the quiet.